Usually, I would have prepared a lot better if I thought I was going to do that. <clears throat> so, if that offended you in some way, add grace. <laughs> Amen. Add grace to me. I, I, I was joking with the elders. I said, um, uh, there's about 30 to 40% of the church who are mad with me that I didn't take a stand either way. But 20% on both edges are mad with me because I didn't come out for wherever. And, I, and I, so I said, you know, 60 to 70% approval rating is not bad. You know, I'm doing, I feel, I feel like I'm doing okay, you know. <laughs> I think some politicians would be, would be jealous of me. All right, let's talk about... <laughs> they devoted themselves. This has been such a great series for me because it's been a reminder to me that what, what we devote ourselves to in, public, uh, in private will be proven in public. And, and we spoke about last week, but yesterday's devotions are today's fuel, but yesterday's devotions are today's armor as well. When, when, I, when, I, when I devote myself to whatever I give myself, whenever I open my heart to yesterday, builds up reserves, either of faith and courage or, or of unbelief and fear. I commit myself to something. I devote myself somewhere, and that devotion is today's fuel, and it's today's armor. So when I devote myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to his kingdom, it stirs me with faith and courage, and it sets me in the focus on the right course. Now, it's just like the early church. What they devoted themselves to made a massive difference because it, it turned their insides the right way. And then they were prepared for whatever happened to them externally, right? Because we know that persecution was coming to them. So let me take you to Acts 2. And we've been reading, this has been the, the kind of the scripture for our, our series. But they devoted themselves, the scripture says, they devoted themselves. Not the apostles made them, not that they were devoted to, they were devoted by somebody else, they were forced into it, they were coerced. No, they devoted themselves. And there is a volitional aspect to this reality. And some people go, well, how come I'm not seeing the power of God? How come I'm not seeing the answers to my prayers? And I want to just say that sometimes there is a cooperation that's exceptionally necessary between you and I and the Lord. And that the more I seek him, the more I devote myself to seek him, the more rewards I find that happen in my life. Because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. So sometimes you go, well, God, I'm not finding God. Well, how hard are you seeking? See, there's, a, there's an element here where we have to devote ourselves. So they, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship, breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to everybody who had a need. And every day, every day, every day, they continued to meet in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of the things that happened in their everydayness is that they praised God. Praise was a part of the life of the early church. It was one of the issues of their devotion. Praise was an integral daily part of their lives. And so we see after this initial set of things that the Bible says that they, uh, that they devoted themselves to, in this extension passage to that, it speaks about this regularity of every day and worship and praise. So um, I want to investigate this idea of praise in our lives personally. 
And if it was a daily occurrence, that means it wasn't dependent on JJ and the worship team. That sounds like a 60s band, JJ and the Whalers. Doesn't that sound like a, <coughs> that sounds like a band? Sorry, I couldn't, it just, just came to me. But it's like, it's like um, <laughs> we can't just wait for Sunday for the worship team to lead us so well. And thanks, I, mean, I love the worship team, really, for what you guys bring. It's beautiful. But it's a daily occurrence, right? It's just what they did. And so th- this, this idea that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's right for our spiritual health and wealth that we should, be, we should be focusing on this. We should, we should be calling on the Lord. We should be praising his name. We should be constantly remembering what he's done. Now, their situation in the first church seems that they were rejoicing all the time in what the Lord had done for them. And then because of that rejoicing and because of the, the constant moving of God's power among them, that they constantly enjoyed the favor of the community. So the community they were in, this, this not only impacted them, because while it says they worshipped every day in one another's homes, the, the whole community held them in high esteem. So this idea of, of uh, the Lord's power moving and then the church praising and then, and then this having an impact in the community, this idea of um, our praise and God's power working together, that's an exciting thing. The cycle of salvation and praise kept going. God's power and the praise of his church kept like an unbroken flow of the life of God flowing in the church. The celebration, acknowledgement, remembering of what God had done was an important part of doing this. When I was in middle school, we, I was at a boys, all-boys school, and so the, one of the teachers, I think we obviously had been obnoxious, and he was trying to teach us electrical conductivity or something. And so he said to the class, wait, come, come with me. And he walked us outside to his pickup truck and he attached a, a little wire to each of the battery cables and he had us hold hands. And he had one guy grab on this side and one guy grabbed on that side and the, and the loop was, and we all, we all understood conductivity <laughs> at the same moment. You close the loop, the power flows. Wasn't a hard concept to grasp. Close the loop, the power flows. And I just want to say, I think there's something about God makes a promise, and then He comes with His power to fulfill the promise, and we see what He's done, and then we go, "All right, do that again." And there is a piece here that closes the loop. There is a piece where we go, "Wow, thank you, Lord, praise you. You're so amazing." Because in that piece, where, where not only we hear the promise of God and then the power of God accomplishes it, but we open our mouths to proclaim the praises of God, is what allows the community to say, "Oh, wow, God is moving among you." We have to close the loop on the power of God working, and the more we praise God for what He's doing, the more the power continues to flow among us. Is that making sense to anyone? Because why do I have to praise? Well, because it's not because God is, is nervously sitting in heaven needing, needing my applause. It's because he's going, because I want to do profound things in your life and then through you into your community. Amen. Otherwise, the Lord moves and does something powerful on our behalf. We don't praise or thank him for it. But when we come to celebrate and to praise and to worship and to watch what God is doing, that moment, that invites more. And there is this constant, there's this constant flow of the power of God, the life of God in our church and amongst us. It says every day 
the first church continued together praising God. There was a corporate nature to this. It wasn't just me, because you could take this message and go, oh, that's, that's great. I'm just gonna go and sit in my, and, and there's a beauty to worshiping alone. I love it, soak, worship, it's a thing of beauty. But this idea that we come together, that my praises happen to God, not just privately, but also publicly, in small groups and medium-sized groups and in large group meetings, I bring forth the praises of God. Praise comes out of my mouth. Now, Psalm 50 says this, this, this loop of power and promise and power and praise. He goes, in, in the Good News Bible, it says, Call to me when trouble comes. I will save you. You will praise me. I like that. Uh, you in trouble? Yeah. Then, okay, this is what you do. You call to me. And then what I'll do is I'll save you. And then what you do is, you praise me. It's not that, it's not complicated. Uh, you, you're in trouble? Okay, okay. You call, and then I'll save, and then you praise. So this celebration and acknowledgement and recognition and remembering are all the things that are triggered when we praise, and it's a great practice for us as God's people. Because God gives us the desires of our heart, for example, or he gives us exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine, or he rebukes the devourer on our behalf, or he delivers us from our distresses, or he always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And no matter what's going on, there is always something to be praising God for. And you go, Greg, I, I understand this. Praising God in the middle of a revival when everything's going right, but I'm not there. So I wanna just investigate some of the reasons that we praise God beyond the fact that the Bible you know, commands us to do it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, that's what the scripture says. Apart from the fact that it's commanded, let's look at some issues of why we do this. Well, we praise God, number one, for what he does. This is the low-hanging fruit of praise. God will show up and do things in your life and bless you and you go, praise God, thank you, Lord. Now, that's just good manners. That's just, that's just appropriate recognition of what God is doing. That's just right, right? It is fitting, the psalmist said. It is appropriate for us to praise the Lord. That's just, that's just right. And so this idea that we praise God for what he does, his kindnesses on our behalf should not be unacknowledged. When he moves on our behalf or he touches us or he encourages us, heals us, saves us, provides for us, answers a prayer, fulfills one of his promises, all of that should be the subject of our praise. It's, it's thank you, Lord, for this. Look. And I think it's up to us to make his praise glorious. Okay, if we're in a relationship and I have to tell you what to say back when I say something, I, I love you. No, no, you say you love me. Not so much fun. So, so, so when the scripture says make his praise glorious, it's not like God's saying, okay, okay, I'm gonna say this and then, and then, and then this is what you say. He's waiting for you out of the, of the integrity of your own heart, out of the reality of your own service to, to bring forth praise. And you can make those praise glorious or you can make them slovenly. Make his praise glorious. Choose with, out of your life, what kind of praise does God get out of your life? And we can choose together what kind of praise God gets out of this house. 
You know what I want? I want it to be known in this place, the high praises of God. We honor and celebrate and party and bless his name. If you ask my wife, do you love your husband? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amen. When it comes to the praises of God, and the church gets up and it's, praise God. Let's make his praise glorious. So we praise him for what he does. Call, I'll answer you praise. This is true when it comes to his promises. Second Chronicles 6, this is Solomon. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised through by his mouth to my father David. So there's a responsibility on us to keep his testimonies, to remember, to record, to hold up high the things that God has done. Because when we bring testimonies, we're stirring up this idea that praise should, should come out of Zion, that we should honor the Lord. And that idea, because uh, if, we, if we don't keep the testimonies, if we don't say, hey, this is what God did, then people go, well, I'm praying and God's never answering, but God's answering all the time. And that reality, that remembrance, that understanding is not on him, it's on us. He said, you keep my testimonies, you remember, you tell your children, you hold it up, you bring praise, you say thank you. It's astounding to me, every year, every year we do this, and, and at the end of the year as a family we get together and go, look what the Lord did this year. And it's always sluggish. It's like, it's like I go, oh, what did, God didn't do anything. And I start to, oh, thank you, Lord. Yeah, that was great. Oh, praise God for that. So there's a responsibility on us to keep the testimonies. So the question is, what has the Lord done for you this year? What has he done during COVID for you? Deuteronomy 10, he is the one you praise, he is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders that you saw with your own eyes. These people saw awesome wonders and God said, now I want you to tell tell your kids because your kids didn't see them or they were too young to remember. So tell the kids, dad, I don't really believe you. Listen, I was there. The point is that the first of the reasons we praise God is because we've seen his works. He's done wonders for us. And the benefits are in our lives and we're being filled with joy and and filled with appreciation is an appropriate response to what he does. His works should fill us with joy. When God moves on our behalf, that's the appropriate thing. This is the testimony of what the psalmist said and it's the testimony of what Jesus said. The psalmist said, you make me glad by your deeds. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. So there is a, there is a moment, oh, oh, you know, we don't just praise God for what he does. No, but we do praise him for what he does. But what he does is beautiful. He's an amazingly faithful and kind father. And Jesus said, up until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, you will receive and your joy will be full. My joy will be in you. So it's a fitting thing. Our joy at, at, at the work of his hands is appropriate. But this raises the question, well, what happens if I'm stuck in between the promise and the fulfillment? What happens if I'm like in that, in that halfway you know, stage of, of uh, process? I'm stuck in the process, in between the promise and the fulfillment. 
I want to praise God for the answers, but the answers have been slow in coming. I know you guys don't understand this. I'll explain it to you. I know there's no one here that I'm talking to. So you go, okay, well, what happens if I'm in that mode? Well, then you praise God for who he is. Because I don't just praise the Lord for what he's doing for me right now. I don't just praise God for what he's done for me in the past. I praise God for who he is right now for me. Because who he is never changes. Well, what have I got to praise God for? You've got to praise God for the fact that his faithfulness is your shield and your rampart. His faithfulness, which reaches to the heavens, which he cannot deny. And all his ways are loving and faithful. And God will always, only ever be faithful to you. He cannot be unfaithful to you. Should you praise him for that? Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm under a pinch right now. I'm feeling the squeeze. Life is not treating me kindly. Yeah, but you can take refuge in the faithfulness of God and praise him for his faithfulness. Because he never changes. His nature and his attributes are a safe place where we can find rest and shelter. His attributes are those characteristics that help us understand who he is. His love, his good, his gracious, his just, his faithful, his merciful, his righteous, his holy, his eternal, his omniscient, his omnipotent, his omnipresent, his self-existent, his sovereign, his transcendent. There's all of these things about who God is right now and will not change. And you can take refuge in them and you can praise him for them no matter what the circumstances of your life because he never changes. And at some stage in your life and in mine, if we're going to grow up in our faith, God is going to take you through the desert where you're not feeling all the warm fuzzies and it's not all beautiful. And and you go, but God, why have you stopped? I don't know if you remember when I first got saved, I would just pray a prayer and boom, the power of God read it. It was stunning. I'd just go, oh Lord, and boom, the scriptures would open up. Then I went through a stage where the Lord, there was no boom. And I was like, is there sin in my life? God, have you left me? How many of you remember that? And it's all the Lord's going, no, no, I want you to, I'm glad that you've learned to praise me for what I do. Now I want you to praise me for who I am. Because you can't fool me. I know the circumstances are not that brilliant right now. No, I'm I'm not that amazing, but I know who my God is. You can't fool me. I'm not going to stop my praising. It's very good news. Because almost every other religion in the day the scriptures were written had capricious gods that were given to flights of fancy and they were mean and vindictive and dispassionate and envious and selfish. But our God is none of that. Faithful and loving and kind and good and true and merciful and gracious. And he never changes. He'll never remove that from you. And when you were called by the blood of Jesus Christ into a relationship, when you were brought very near to this God, he locked you in in a covenant that cannot be broken, and he always will only ever be that to you. Well, my circumstances are not great, but my God is amazing. Samuel says he will not change or lie, for he's not a man that should change his mind. He's the eternal God. He began all of this and he'll wrap it all up. And so at least a part of our praise has to do with who God is. Not with the current circumstances of my life. And in these moments, in the tough times, in the dire circumstances, when we bring praise, it's called a sacrifice of praise because it costs something. Sometimes praise doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It feels like the most obvious thing to do. 
And this is why the phrase started when people say, God is good. And then people started saying, God is good all the time. Because people began to praise and they only recognized praise when God did something that they really had been trusting him for. And then, and then the phrase started, yeah, God is good, but God is good all the time. So we don't just praise him when, when the stuff that I was hoping for materializes. I praise him while I'm waiting for the stuff to materialize. And even if I never see the stuff materialize, I'm going to praise him anyway. That's why it's called a sacrifice, because it is costly. Psalm 102, you Lord sit enthroned forever and your renown endures through all generations. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you'll remain because you'll wear them out like a garment. God is eternal. He's not changing his mind. This world we know is going to come and go. This current world is reserved for fire. The, the, the life we're going to live with God is eternal. It goes on way beyond this earth and this universe. So to get locked in to praising God only for what's going on in this universe, in this space and time. No. So, my current circumstances can change. Healing can come. Joy comes with the morning. He can give me a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. So I sing with a voice loud enough to pierce my troubles. I want it registered in heaven that my hope and my faith were in God despite the circumstances. When the walls are crumbling, when my enemy approaches, I'm not screaming at the top of my lungs, oh God, we're going to die. I'm saying, God, you are my salvation. You will see me through. The God who never changes is infinitely good, and I'm going to praise him for who he is. Thirdly, I praise God for my inheritance. Fundamentally, I have a future hope. You have a future hope. Because when you came into Christ Jesus, you walked into an inheritance that you did not earn, but Jesus earned it on your behalf. You became a co-heir with Jesus, a joint heir with Jesus, and an heir of God. And God has a massive inheritance from you. Before time began, God planned for a love relationship with mankind. But he didn't want to force you into it. He didn't want to uh, take the choice away from you. So he enabled you to make the choice to, to believe in his son. God bound all men, the scripture says, over to sin and then he gave a savior to win them all back. But only those who choose him, only those who lean towards him, only those who respond to him have the access of that. Does that make sense? So God bound it over like this. He set the thing up so that those who lean towards him, those who seek his face can experience what God intended from the beginning. And God built this absolutely astounding inheritance for you who believe. Jesus came to fulfill the eternal plan of God, what the scripture says. And Jesus paid the full price to secure a great inheritance for you. And the jury is not still out debating this. The price was set. The price was paid by Jesus. The price was inspected by God. And God declared the, the sacrifice of Jesus to fully pay the debt that was owed. And Jesus' death finished the details. And then when, when Jesus' death was proved, God raised him. And he said, now, the will of God 
which, which was written before time began, before God created anything, that will was put into effect by the sacrificed blood of Jesus. That's why Hebrews 9 says, therefore, who, who through the blood of the eternal covenant offered himself unblemished to God. The blood of the eternal covenant was not the, the new covenant we talk about. It was the covenant that God cut in the eternity. And when Jesus came and his blood was shed, that blood was also not just the blood of the new covenant, but the blood of the eternal covenant. And God raised Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant from the dead. Because when Jesus died, he set the eternal covenant in motion. And God had promised God, Jesus before time began. He said, son, if you're going to lay down your life, I won't let your body see decay. And so when Jesus laid down his life, when that blood was shed, by the blood of the eternal covenant, God raised Jesus up. And said, son, come here. And Hebrews says, by that shed blood, you can walk into an inheritance. Because when the, when the testator, the person who writes the will, is proven to be dead, the will takes effect. And when Jesus shed his blood for you, that will was put into effect. And everybody who believes now can walk into the inheritance. Let me tell you, let me show you this. Amen. Ephesians 1. I keep asking the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may the hope to which he has called you the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. God set a hope for you and that hope will not be taken away from you. He, he's called you in Jesus Christ to an inheritance. There is a future hope for you. And at any stage of any time, of any day, of any circumstances of your life, you can look up and start reaching for your inheritance and it's always going to be available for you because Jesus paid for it. The jury is not out. It's been paid for. It's waiting there for you. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here hopeless. Begin to praise God and you can access all your inheritance. There's a promise. The power of God and our praises. We form a loop. We form a continuous circle. Don't let your praises be silent. So here's, I'm, I'm just going to run through it and then we're going to close and we're going to worship. Here's some, here's some things that's part of your inheritance. You, you were given grace. You were chosen by God. He, he gave you light. You were crucified with Jesus, you died with Jesus, you were buried with Jesus, you were raised with Jesus. Those are, by the way, these are all past tense in the, in the Greek. It's all in the aorist tense in the Greek. It's all something that happened to you when you believed. It's not something that still has to happen to you. This has all occurred for you in, by faith. You, you have access to all of this because of the, the death of Jesus Christ. You were circumcised by Christ. You were made alive. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You were seated in heavenly places. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you were blessed with every spiritual blessing. And that's not the exhaustive list. I ran out of space in the thing and I didn't want to preach too long here. I praise God for what he's doing. I praise God for who he is. And I praise God for the inheritance that I have. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'd come back. We're going to to praise God. Some of you sitting here going, man, the Lord has just answered my prayers. Maybe you got healed. Maybe there was a provision. Maybe there was a promise that you saw fulfilled. Maybe you're just right in the middle of that. Praise God. Thank you, Father. And you praise God for what he's doing, and that's beautiful. Some of you are in the, in the, <laughs> in the process time, between the promise and the fulfillment. And maybe some of you just need to go, look, I can't see, I can't see a wisp of wind anywhere, but I know who I've believed, and I'm going to praise you for who you are, Lord. And that's just as important. Sometimes you need to shout in the wind, this is who my God is.
I know who he is. I don't care what the circumstances say. I don't care what the lies provoke. This is my God and this is what I'm going to praise. I'm going to, I'm going to prove that I believe by the praise I sing. And some of you need to praise God for inheritance. Because some of you have lost hope. But there is no hopeless case in the body of Christ. It's just hopeless people. Throw off that hopelessness. Because there is surely a future hope for you. There's a massive inheritance for you. Nothing holding it back from God's side. Praise will unlock it for you. So I'm going to ask the team, if they would just lead us again, we're just going to take one song and put this into practice. We're just going to come together as a church to say, this, Lord, is going to be the standard. This is going to be the praise. This is going to be the way we function. And I can't choose for anybody else. I can choose for me. I can choose how the praises of God coming out of my life. I can choose how enthusiastic they are. That's not on the Lord. That's on me. That's on you. I can choose how devoted I am to this. I can choose how exuberant I am. I can choose how in the moment I am. That's on us. So I'm going to invite you. Why don't you join together with us? Let's praise the King. Let's bring Him glory. Bring Him a sacrifice if necessary. Hey!
something, it means something when you open your mouth and praise the
we bless you for what you do. We bless you for who you are. We bless you for what you call us to. <laughs> we give you praise. Daily, they met together, praising God. Let the high praises of God be in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hands to bring forth, Lord, in the nations what you promised. Now, Father, I release your favor, your power and your promise. Release, Lord, the, the fulfillment of the promises of God all over this room, Lord. To everybody who's been waiting, everybody who's been in the process, Lord, I change the season on them. Bring the power. Bring them out, Lord. Breakthroughs, Father, this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Pray for significant moves, Lord, downfield. I pray for businesses, jobs coming. I pray for deals coming. I pray for restored relationships. I pray for physical healings. I pray for supernatural provisions. I pray for breakthrough, Lord, in salvations. The salvation, Lord, come to this place. Connect us with people who need to be saved, Lord. Bring them in. Make this a, a day, Lord, a new day. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks, Jenny. While we were worshiping, I saw a picture of an infinity pool with its waters continually spilling over the edges. That's what you and I are. Our praises never cease. A thousand hours and a thousand journals could never contain them. Our lives are spilling with praise. I just wanna invite you to, you can take a seat. I wanna give you a couple last invitations. I wanna invite you to a really important day this week. It's on Saturday. We're having our Northlands Conference. This is gonna be an incredible day. As you know, our, our sessions from Dale Mass have been pre-recorded. Yes, we'll watch them together, but it's more than that. We're gonna worship the Lord. We're gonna engage in workshops. The Lord is gonna do something in our hearts, solidify some things about our identity that will profoundly change the rest of our lives. The revelation of Dale Mass has changed my life and my husband's lives, and it will change yours. So if you can in any way make it, virtually or in person, we encourage you next Saturday, carve out just four hours and be a part of this time. I truly think it will be one of your favorite days in 2020. So go online, grab a ticket. There's virtual options, there's in-person options still available for you. Um, additionally, you can jump online and register for another in-person service on November 15th or 22nd. It's always northlands.church slash doors open. And lastly, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we are so glad that you're with us. It's so good to see your face. And you can meet us um, in the front lobby right by the coffee shop. We would really love to hear what brought you through our doors and just say hello and good morning to you personally. Thank you for taking the time to be with us, to worship with us, to grow with us. We love you so much, Northlands family, in person and online. And we hope that you have a blessed week, overflowing with praise. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.